Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. This summer, the summer of 2021, marks four years since Nanette Krentel was shot to death, since a fire ripped through her unassuming, single-story home in southeastern Louisiana, and since her family members drove to Lacombe from all over the country, sifted through the ashes, and began asking questions. As we approach that somber anniversary, the fire is still a mystery, and the murder is still unsolved which means her killer is still out there. And that's something Nanette's loved ones have not forgotten. Not for a second of those four years. She was murdered, and I think brutally. I don't think her last hours were pleasant. We've heard a lot from some of her family members during that time. But since doing a handful of interviews in the weeks and months after the fire... Steve Krennel has, as far as the public is concerned, been quiet about the case. Nanette's side of the family says they haven't heard much from him in recent years either, at least not directly. According to them, they haven't exactly been on speaking terms since Nanette's memorial service. But one of Nanette's cousins, Gina Watson, stayed in touch with Steve for years after Nanette's death. And they've spoken at length about the case, about Nanette, the fire, the investigation, his thoughts, his questions, his suspicions, information that has never before been made public. But after four long years, without seeing anyone held accountable for her cousin's murder, Gina has decided she's ready to tell me about it. All of it. For Vault Studios and WWL-TV, I'm Katie Moore. This is Beyond Bardstown, Lacombe. Hello. Gina? Yes, hi. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Like the rest of her family, Nanette's cousin Gina has been trying to figure out what happened to Nanette from the beginning, since July 14th, 2017. Coincidentally, it was also Gina's birthday. Well, I don't know if it's just because it happened on my birthday or the fact that it is my cousin who was, you know, just such a shining light for so many people. She was such a bright personality and... This was one of the the nicest, kindest, you know, the people that would help anyone and had such a big heart. And, you know, just experiencing the loss of her from our family was tough. And to watch Dan and Kim going through that, and I think I just, 
all of us wanted answers, and we started talking, you know, talking to people for advice. We had family conference calls where we were discussing what was the best course of action. At that point in time, Steve was still talking with Dan frequently and with Kim and Randy. So we were getting some information from him as well. But at a certain point, he stopped communicating with Dan. And I think that's when we kind of kicked it more into gear as a murder-type investigation and being especially suspicious about the Krennels. When did you start talking to Steve? Can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah, we went for a few months where it was, I kind of became the family scribe or secretary, historian, I don't know what you want to call it. But I realized quickly that we were getting so much information from so many different places that we needed to be able to keep it all in one place and also, you know, get a timeline going. We didn't understand the politics of the area very well, um, which it's almost like an East versus West thing going on. And we started very quickly putting people into different camps. You know, like these people are friends with Steve. They're also friends with these politicians, but not friends with these politicians. And just kind of seeing where the town was divided was very enlightening because with us being from Iowa or at the time, you know, I lived in Florida, we were very removed and hadn't even spent any time in her hometown So just learning the lay of the land like that, even understanding some of the politics and the people involved in the investigations and who they were connected to was very enlightening. And from there, um, kind of going down those rabbit holes, but without much independent verification from the people involved. And that's when I decided I almost needed to talk to Steve. I needed to start talking to people outside of our family unit because we only knew so much. Gina didn't really know Steve before all of this, at least not well. But instead of going through Dan, Nanette's father, she decides to get in touch with him through one of his co-workers at the fire station, someone who could make a more friendly introduction. She was able to introduce me to Steve without being introduced through Dan, if that makes sense. I mean, I'd met him once before, but to kind of reintroduce with the motive that I had being a good one, that I wanted to just hear his side of some things and that I was willing to help bridge that family with our family unit because we hadn't been communicating as of late. And if we could compare notes, maybe we could make it somewhere in the investigation. That was the plan. Gina would talk to Steve, learn his side of things, then share it all with Dan, Kim, and the rest of the family who were no longer on speaking terms with him. And Gina says Steve seemed more than willing to share most of the information she asked for, at least at first. And he was actually, he was very helpful. He sent a lot of videos and pictures. He rewrote the house plans for me, you know, drew them out so that we would understand the layout of the house. He gave me almost everything I asked for. There was a few things that he never gave me that we did ask for quite a bit. Um, One of them had to do with the prescription. The prescription that Nanette's phone records show someone called to refill just before the fire. And we Mm -hmm. thought that since he was the husband, he might be able to get more information from her doctor or from the pharmacy. And he claimed that he was going to do so, but every time that I would follow up, there would be a different reason. You know, either he would state his progress, such as he'd walked into the pharmacy and they told him he'd have to call a certain number. And then the next time I'd follow up and say, well, did you call that number? No, he hadn't. Eventually he came out with, you know, they're not going to tell me anything because it's an open investigation. So we just left that one there. But 
he gave me phone records. Uh, he went to the McDonald's and shot a video for me of himself going through that drive-through so that I would understand where the cameras were and weren't. He even talked to a, a psychic for us. Um, you know what I mean? Like, he was very accommodating, I would say. As far as Gina could tell, Steve was earnestly trying to figure out what happened to Nanette. Sure, maybe he was going about it differently than the rest of them, but it seemed to her like he had the same end goal. I did get that impression. Everything that he said definitely was to that to that end, and he certainly supplied me a lot of information. He put up with a lot of questioning. He put up with a lot of negativity from me because I wasn't easy on him in any kind of way. I asked him about the supposed affair that we'd heard about with the coworker, which he admitted to but claimed that Nanette knew about and gave her blessing. I told him bullshit. And he said, fair enough, whatever you whatever you want to believe, but that's the truth. Um, and I said, sorry, I'll never believe that. You're never going to convince me of that. What else did you hear from him that was helpful or not helpful in terms of trying to figure out if there were clues that investigators missed? Well, he did tell us about a few things that, like, for example, there was, a propane man that had come out to the house on the 13th of July. And I found that out from Steve. She was afraid of this guy. And apparently even on that day had texted him or called him from home, freaking out because that guy was there and she didn't want to see him. And so she was asking him, how do I buzz him in without having to go down there? And he said, she already knew how to do that, but she was panicking in such a panic that she forgot how. And so she called him to get the instructions. At any rate, she managed to get the gate open. He came and went with no consequence, or so he thought. But just the interesting timing of a propane delivery the day before was something that raised our interest. We were able to pass that on to one of the detectives, and they did actually talk to that guy. They don't believe the guy had anything to do with anything. I'm sure they checked his alibis and stuff like that. I'm not saying this guy had anything to do with anything, but it it was little details like that. Now, like you said, was it helpful? Was it not helpful? If you're thinking along the lines that he was an honest person and just wanted to find out what happened to his wife, then yes, that would have been helpful information. But if you're thinking from the point of view that he's trying to send you down a wild goose chase, then that's not helpful, right? Those were the kind of the head trip that we were all going through because You couldn't ever take anything at face value when you're dealing with somebody lying to you. I asked Gina when she specifically believed Steve had lied to her or been dishonest with her. The example she gave in response was that, according to her, Steve had suggested in the days after the fire that things weren't actually that bad between Nanette and Brian. She says he even invited Dan and Kim over for dinner at his mom's place where Brian was living as if nothing was wrong. He was being dishonest by pretending that he thought everything was okay between Annette and Brian, right? And then when he realized that they knew, then he backpedaled and told the truth. So it was just little things like that where, or, you know, like he told several people at the beginning that he thought Brian did it. That's right. According to Gina, Steve told her and others that he thought Brian did it the fire, Nanette's death. Gina says Steve initially thought Brian was responsible for all of it. To be clear, Brian Crennel is not a suspect in this case. And we don't know if Steve still suspects Brian today. 
Again, those suspicions came to us from Gina, from her records of conversations she had with Steve. And while he's never said anything like this publicly, Gina has provided me with notes she says she took during the conversation in question, then emailed to Kim Watson. In the email with the subject line, Stephen Crennel phone call notes, October 28, 2018, Gina writes, quote, I asked him who he thought did it, and he said, my brother Brian is my number one suspect. They cleared him, but I can't get past thinking he did this, end quote. I've heard recordings of other conversations between Steve and Gina about the case. And in those conversations, Steve does raise suspicions about his brother. But the way Gina sees it, Steve hadn't been acting like someone who thought his brother killed his wife. He's, you know, staying at the same house as Brian, having meals with Brian. Some of the firemen that we met later, you know, that worked with Steve would say, yeah, there was no trouble between Steve and Brian, okay? Like, he was perfectly on good terms with his brother, despite the fact that he supposedly thought he killed his wife. That doesn't add up. Gina also says there's something Steve told her about the day of the fire, specifically about his contact with Nanette that day, that still doesn't sit well with her. The other thing that always bothered me is that he said that he talked to Nanette that day his whole way to work, but the phone records that he himself gave me I have the records for both of their cell phones. and Or no, he didn't give me his. That would be great. He gave me Nanette's cell phone and their home phone. But neither of those records show a phone call from Nanette to him. And then he mm. said something like, well, the police had the records first, so they omitted some of the important ones. And I'm like, they don't do that. Like, why would they do that? <laughs> like, they're not going to change your phone records online. Right. I've never heard of that. Even when it comes to the investigation, Gina says there have been times when Steve would tell her one thing, and investigators, including Daniel Buckner, the lead detective on the case, would tell her the opposite. I would pressure and pressure him because he would say things to me like, well, I've got a journal of different ideas, and every day I I write down different things that I want to talk to detectives about. And I said, well, that's great. You should go down, like, when's the last time you talked to Buckner and showed him that journal? Oh, um, yeah, I go there once a week. Or And then I would actually talk to Buckner and ask Buckner, hey, has Steve been down there? No. So he hadn't really been talking to Buckner and sharing his journal with him and all of that. Gina says she tried to play nice with Steve, to not always share what she was thinking because she wanted to keep that door open as long as possible and keep getting what information she could from him. But over time, she says it got to be too much that there were just too many instances where she didn't believe him. So sometime in the spring of 2019, she stopped talking to Steve altogether, like the rest of her family. So I just felt like it naturally came to an end. I'm pretty sure if I reached out to him even to this day, he would still answer me. He may not be very friendly, but I, he's that kind of person where it's almost like he wants to be in the know enough that he'll just pick up the phone. Like whatever it is that you're going to say, he just wants to know. He'd rather know than not know because that gives them more control. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. 
As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. While we're still waiting on answers to the big questions in Nanette's case, who and why, there have been a handful of other developments since the family's last meeting with local investigators in August of 2018. For starters, the fire chief is no longer a fire chief. In the spring of 2019, as a result of that civil service investigation unrelated to the homicide investigation, Steve Crennell was demoted and disciplined by the fire board. Then, nearly a year after Nanette's death, he opted to retire from the fire district altogether. More news came in the fall of 2019, when there was an arrest, although not the arrest Nanette's family had been waiting for. Agent Jerry Rogers was taken into custody after St. Tammany Sheriff's detectives discovered Rogers had raised questions about the investigation into the death of Nanette Krentel. It's one of the many... Jerry Rogers, a federal agent for the HUD Inspector General, was handcuffed at his home and booked into the St. Tammany Parish Jail in September of 2019 after a detective with the St. Tammany Parish Sheriff's Office connected Rogers to an anonymous email account, Nanette at yahoo.com. It had been communicating with Nanette's family. I reached out to Dan Watson when I covered Roger's arrest in 2019. When did you first hear about this concern on the sheriff's part that somebody was leaking information to you guys? Oh, when I saw it on the news. Dan Watson is Nanette Krentel's father. He says another daughter, Kim, received the emails from Rogers starting at the end of 2017. But none of Krentel's family members we spoke with say they complained to the sheriff's office about it. We didn't make a complaint, so was he taken into custody without a complaint? But the sheriff's office says one of the family members did. Jerry Rogers had emailed Nanette's sister, Kim, about 10 times raising questions about how the investigation was being handled and criticizing lead detective Daniel Buckner, going so far as to call him a, quote, stone-cold rookie. St. Tammany Sheriff Randy Smith has publicly defended Buckner, saying he's more than qualified to do the job. Although Rogers was never actually charged with a crime, before the matter was settled, a St. Tammany Sheriff's detective lost his job over it. Sheriff Randy Smith fired Stephen Montgomery for talking to Rogers. If you ask Gina Watson, it all amounted to a big distraction. In fact, she says the last time she heard from local investigators in St. Tammany wasn't even about Nanette. According to her, Detective Buckner called her about Jerry Rogers to ask if she'd talked at all with Rogers' attorney. And I said no. And I said Jerry Rogers did call me and ask me to talk to his attorney, but his attorney never called me. And that was the truth, and that's the last I've heard from Buckner. And so that phone call wasn't about the case. It wasn't about, and to be honest with you, I feel like they're more concerned with Jerry Rogers than they are with solving the case. Gina Watson says, right or wrong, she thinks Jerry Rogers at least had the family's best interests in mind when he contacted them about the case. I mean, maybe that wasn't the best choice for him to make in retrospect, but he was looking out for the fact that our family member had died and that he had information that he thought we should know. 
and I feel terrible that, you know, a detective that I thought I could trust, that he would take something like that and go and try to arrest this man and ruin his life rather than, you know, meanwhile, my cousin's case is completely unsolved. That's not the most important thing going on here, you know, at least as far as we're concerned. But again, it comes down to those politics. And the most important thing for you all is finding out what happened to Nanette and bringing it to justice and not, you know, if somebody's willing to step forward and give us information. I mean, think about it in terms of like Crime Stoppers. Would they do that to anybody that, you know, that's anonymous, obviously, but, you know, they're welcoming people to call in tips, even directly to Buckner. Who's going to turn in a tip now, ever again? Nobody will. Nobody will ever turn in a tip, probably to us, to the police, to anyone now. That's what they've done. Aside from that call about Jerry Rogers, Gina tells me the St. Tammany Parish Sheriff's Office hasn't contacted the family with any updates since that confrontational meeting in August of 2018, the one you heard on the last episode. According to her, Detective Buckner hasn't ever called Dan, Nanette's father. Gina says he knew Nanette better than anyone else on that side of the family. And he never reached out to Dan at all. Like, I asked Dan just the other day, hey, have you ever talked to Buckner? No. And he would answer. I mean, obviously, Dan doesn't make it real secret what he thinks of the investigation. To his credit, he doesn't go out there screaming about it the way I think he could or, you know, a lot of people might. But he does through, you know, liking posts of various people who are disparaging the sheriff's department or, you know, he makes his his opinions known in other ways. With Dan, it was really difficult because he's dealing with the murder of his daughter and he's, you know, he's held himself together extremely well. You know, it makes me afraid of thinking about it because that man has held it together, you know? And so if he, if he supports certain things, if he's angry about certain things, he has every right to be. And the sheriff and Buckner should get over themselves and get over their ego and talk to the man anyways, because the fact of the matter is he knew that woman better than anyone. The sheriff's office maintains that the lack of any arrests in Nanette's case is not due to a lack of effort. As of the fall of 2019, Sheriff Randy Smith said his office has executed more than 65 search warrants, reviewed over 45 hours of surveillance footage, and conducted more than 80 interviews, in addition to asking outside agencies for help. Despite that, and despite the reassurances they received during that 2018 meeting with the sheriff's office, the family still believes there are others in the community who have information but have not been approached by law enforcement. There's also several firemen and several neighbors that we've talked to that have never been questioned by the police, that want to be questioned by the police, but they don't want it bad enough that they're going to reach out because people have a genuine mistrust of law enforcement down there. So it makes them nervous to be, you know, if they call, whose list are they going to end up on? They don't want to get involved in that kind of thing. But if if a sheriff came to their door or made any kind of effort, a deputy made an effort to speak to them, maybe they would say something. But there's been no effort made. I think there's also the real fact that Nanette's killer is still out there. Yeah. And it seems like nobody cares, but... A lot of that goes back to they don't believe that she was murdered, right? Like, it's clear that they don't believe that. 
They're, yeah. they're treating it, you know, they have to treat it as a homicide investigation, but I don't feel that they truly believe that she was murdered. What does that do to you all these years later and, and given everything that you know about the case? Well, it makes me angry because, you know, obviously it's not a fair investigation if they have bias. So I wish at this point that they would get new investigators on it that aren't biased. And they did. So what happened? In 2019, Sheriff Randy Smith brought in former U.S. Marshal Jenny May to take a fresh look at the case. But she came up empty as well. As for the sheriff's office itself, while some members of Nanette's family continue to hope for a shakeup, leadership at the sheriff's office appears likely to stay the same at least for a few more years. Sheriff Randy Smith was re-elected to his position in the fall of 2019, and that term runs through the spring of 2024. But this past fall, St. Tammany Parish DA Warren Montgomery offered the family some hope. More than three years after her death in a horrible fire, the DA of St. Tammany Parish appears to be trying to breathe new life into the investigation of Nanette Krenzel, the late wife of a fire chief. In an unexpected move, DA Warren Montgomery subpoenaed all of the records from the sheriff's office on the case. The DA's office pointed to material differences in the findings of the coroner and the sheriff's office something the sheriff has challenged. Sheriff Randy Smith reacted last night with a statement in which he maintained both he and Dr. Charles Preston, the coroner, were unaware of any differences in their findings. Nevertheless, he turned over the records today and then released another statement, an endorsement of D.A. Montgomery's challenger, Vincent Wynn. That was in October of 2020, just before the elections. But the incumbent D.A. Warren Montgomery held on to his seat, meaning his office has continued looking into it. Some family members think this just might be the push needed to solve Nanette's case, that the DA might even be close to calling a grand jury to try and bring charges. But against who? And for Nanette's death or something else? While those questions hang, the family's left waiting. As much as they've been able to learn on their own, the question that has haunted them since the summer of 2017 is still unanswered. What happened to Nanette? But even though they don't have the answer, they have landed on some theories. Some family members still think something happened the night before the fire. They're just not convinced it's Nanette in that grainy McDonald's drive through footage from the day of. So all evidence kind of points to me to be that something happened that night before. We all know that incendiary devices can be set to timers. Where do you think this investigation first derailed? I mean, do you feel like the investigation derailed? Um, it derailed right away when they didn't secure the scene. And when they let Steve on the scene immediately, even though it was his wife and his property that was involved in the fire. You know, whether or not he's involved, that should, you know, it's, Certain things should just be held sacred so that the the evidence is intact and that there's never any question of that. Because now if this ever goes to a court of law, don't tell me that there's not all kinds of doubt. Right. 
So, you know, even if we know, even if it, if an arrest is made, I'm I'm not entirely confident that there'll be a conviction just because of how many things have been screwed up along the way. So I guess it just depends, honestly. But It's going to sound like a weird question, but do you feel like you know Nanette more after investigating her death? Oh, for sure. Um, I really had no idea what was going on under the surface with her. Like I said, she was always such a positive person and kind of a shining light, but at no point, you know, did I think that all of this was happening with her. Even though she's passed now, I I send a little prayer every once in a while, like, just hoping she knows that I totally respect her and that everything that I'm finding and investigating and sharing, that I hope I have her blessing, that it's all with bringing closure to this and to bringing justice to, for her. Despite all their questions and concerns about the investigation, Gina still thinks her family will get closure. Maybe not soon, but someday. I do. And the reason that I do is because a friend of mine did go missing and ended up being found murdered years ago. And then that case was solved. They were found. Um, unfortunately, they were found deceased. But even after they their bodies were found, that opened up a lot more that the detectives could do rather than it being a missing person case. So... I did see closure on that one. And so because of that, I'll never say never again kind of thing. I saw the most impossible happen. Like, in my opinion, I never thought that would ever be solved and that we would ever know what happened to that family. So I do believe in the impossible like that. I do believe that evil will come to light eventually and that you can't hide in the darkness for long and that it always comes to light. So you're still hopeful? I am. It'll just take time and it'll probably take a new regime, but... One day, it'll be solved. What is it in you that makes you continue to push for this? Well, there's the obvious. Nanette's murder and bringing some justice to that. For Dan Watson, Nanette's father, this process, this fight as he sees it, is not just about seeking justice for his daughter. It's become bigger than that. Throughout this entire process, we have befriended so many people, good people, in St. Tammany and actually New Orleans, and they deserve to have a strong foothold where there is no corruption, somewhere where they can bank on this person has some integrity. Um, and it just, it it's, seems overwhelming to want to think that, that it would actually happen. But I think I would like to see that for all of these friends. They're always very important to her. And now they're important to us. So I think that would be what I would hope for. Some way to reduce the amount of corruption. To at least get one person who is able to stand up for what's right. And help the citizens down there move forward. 
and you deserve an answer. Yes. Beyond Bardstown Lacombe is a Vault Studios and WWL-TV production. This is our eighth and final episode. But if you want to be the first to know about any future updates, additional episodes, or future seasons of the podcast, take a second right now to make sure you're subscribed to or following the show. You can learn more about our other podcasts, including The Daily Crime and True Crime Chronicles, at vaultstudios.com. Special thanks to WWL-TV News Director Keith Esperos and visual journalist Derek Waldrop. Vault Studios executive producers are Brian Weiss and Will Johnson. Reed Redmond is our writer and producer. Richard Humphreys at Tacoma Media in Silver Spring, Maryland, mixes and edits the show. For Vault Studios, I'm Katie Moore.